Hello and welcome to episode 6 of USC's Rhythm and News podcast at Daily Trojan, where we break down everything in pop culture and entertainment. I'm your host, Amal Bashbai, and with me is my co-host, Shrika Ramani. Hi, guys. All right, today you and I have a lot of exciting top stories to talk about, as well as welcoming our feature student guest this week, McLean Portis, founder and CEO of live to create a content creating online platform. This week, our big picture will be the shifting landscape of the influencer culture in light of the recent controversy with David Dobrik. And without further ado, let's get started. First off, we have the box office revival that happened this last weekend. If you guys aren't aware, Godzilla vs. Kong, the biggest match of all time, just came out in the box office, smashed expectations during the pandemic, of course. It grossed $48.5 million over its five-day opening weekend, which actually matched up to its uh, predecessor, which came out a few years ago, and that wasn't during a pandemic. So it's definitely above expectations, and this happened in despite of limited capacity as well as the HBO Max simultaneous strategy, which basically the film released day and date on both streaming platforms and theaters. I think this like underlines the cultural power cinemas have, and they're still going to have after the pandemic, but this is just the beginning. I think there's a long way to go on recovery. And they're establishing a 45-day theatrical window with Paramount that breaks the 90-day theatrical window held by studios and theaters for decades. Um, That's unfortunate, but it's probably just how things are shaping up with streaming options these days. Uh, Shrika, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, Yeah, I mean, basically with the whole um, theatrical output in itself completely being diminished over the pandemic, it's almost essential that production companies take this shift Um, because distribution channels themselves can't survive without the support of production companies and networks really giving them the content that they need. And Warner Bros. honestly completely saying that 2022 is going to see theatrical releases really helps uh, theaters, you know, buck up and get back to where they were pre-pandemic. They faced an incredible economic loss. On to our next news which is Justice League, Snyder Cut. And if you're unaware of this, it's a weird corner of the internet where not everyone visits, but it's pretty big where people do talk about it. Basically, this film, Justice League, came out a few years ago, 2017, and it had a very lengthy production schedule where Zack Snyder shot it, but then he was taken off because of family tragedy. And then Warner Brothers completely changed the film with Josh Whedon, a director they brought in, But the big story that's really coming out of this is that there's a lot of allegations being put out by one of the actors, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg. Um, He's basically alleging Josh Whedon, John Berg, who's an executive, as well as Jeff Johns, another executive, of a lot of abusive behavior on set, misuse of power, racist characterization of his character, as well as just taking out stories of minorities of color away from the film and just a bad environment overall. Um, There's a case where he says that Gal Gadot was like threatened, or her career was threatened by Josh Whedon verbally. And all of it looks really bad. I just hope Warner Brothers takes accountability. Third news of the week is Jordan Peele. Next movie that's being set up at Universal. He's hired Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Steven Yeun. It's going to be a new horror film. And it just shows Peele's continued commitment to diverse stories and characters. What do you think, Sugar? This I'm super excited for. 
Uh, I love Jordan Peele uh, and Steven Yeun now fresh off with the Oscar nominations. I'm super excited. I just know this is going to be amazing uh, and I can't wait. Now it's time for our featured artist. This week, we're going to bring on some talented USC students who are creating their own arts and entertainment. This week, we have McLean Portis, a junior at USC, part of the Business of Cinematic Arts program and CEO and founder of Live to Create. Hi, McLean. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I absolutely love the platform. Uh, I have completely stalked it before this interview. Uh, you've been <laughs> ranging from doing podcasts to any, you know informational videos to onboarding new artists. For those that don't know what Live to Create is, uh, do give us a little bit of a background of what it is. How did it all start? You're a team of four students uh, doing this on the side. How did this journey start? <laughs> uh, it all started my freshman year. I just... Uh, when I came to USC, I needed something outside of school to really dig into because um, that's just always been my personality. I need need something outside of school to just keep me going. Um, and I was a filmmaker throughout high school, so I always loved telling stories that would make people feel something. And the underdog story has always spoken to me. So as a freshman, um, I looked around and saw so many insanely talented artists um, musicians in particular that were struggling to find a voice on the internet, which is now so key to building a platform in order to get your voice out there. Whereas in the past, it was it was a very different, um, very different industry for music. But now it's that first building a fan base around yourself is so key, and, and most people aren't able to do that themselves. So um, yeah, I just started telling stories, spent about a year and a half without any real traction or anything, and then um, started making TikTok videos and committed myself to making one every single day um, a little over a year ago, uh, and did that pretty much all the way throughout quarantine. And um, I discovered one kid from USC named Chase Paves who uh, we had a video get 2 million views talking about uh, his music. And he had never released any music before, but after that we put something out and it was pretty clear how life-changing that this really could be. So really dug in after that and just um, kept, kept getting after it, kept telling stories. And um, it, it really, the last six months have looked like trying to take it from a, TikTok platform from an influencer type vibe into a real business, a brand that can grow and expand beyond just being a TikTok platform. So that's kind of where we're, we've been. And uh, we're definitely headed in that direction now with my founding team that I've put together. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely gearing up for a pretty big year this year. Wow, that's pretty incredible. I, I also stalked a lot of uh, what Live to Create is doing. And I thought what you guys are doing, like as students, like you said, you started at, in your freshman year. It's pretty remarkable and inspiring for any new uh, students coming into USC to do something as kind of revolutionary as what you guys are doing. Um, you said you achieved most of your recognition on TikTok. And we've seen that platform kind of take over the online space. And I wanted to get your insight into how you think that platform with its trends and uh, emphasis on music, how are you guys going to use that interface to achieve your mission? And how do you think that 
how, how do you think TikTok mm-hmm. really affects the online space moving forward? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think TikTok is, it's an entire beast because whereas on YouTube or Instagram, you can build an incredibly loyal fan base um, in longer form content that are there for you. Um, on TikTok, you can capitalize off of really short attention spans and just absolute like, it's, it's crazy like viral marketing, but it's really hard to build a really loyal fan base that will stick with you. Only a f- very few creators that even have millions of followers have that because you, sometimes you'll come across accounts that have millions of followers and they'll get a few thousand views. So it's just, um, it's, it's very interesting that um, the way the algorithm works, it favors content over the person behind the content. So it doesn't care who you are. It's literally just, are you making videos that are going to keep people scrolling? Yes. Then, okay, we're going to push it out. No. Okay. Screw you. I don't care how many followers you have. It's over for you. So it's a very toxic environment uh, of sorts. And I've seen it definitely affect people mentally um, a lot. So like a lot of people are very anxious about, about that. I saw some study that it was like the number one job people want to have is being a creator or something like that. Um, and so it's, it's pretty cutthroat. So a lot of, a lot of people are looking for ways to build beyond that um, and have more security in doing it. So um, yeah, TikTok doesn't provide that security and other platforms provide a little bit more of it. But the entire name of the game is like diversification into different platforms and growing an actual fan base that you, um, you know, that will follow you anywhere instead of just on that one platform. The whole construct of social media in general, which is something that you all have been addressing through your initiative of art, uh, art, not algorithms, um, from from my understanding of it, it's primarily that a lot of content creators today are basing their um, games of reaching out towards their audiences playing the algorithm game. And what happens there is that actual content, uh, art, creativity is just completely smothered by the whole numbers game. How exactly did mm. art not algorithms come to be? And how are you how have you sort of cracked that idea of placing art before the whole game of, of algorithms. How is that coming to mm-hmm. be? Yeah, the, the name or not algorithms I created because it was a reminder to myself that no matter what I was doing, I wanted to highlight true artists and allow them the space because what I, what I had been seeing was all of these musicians trying to create things that morphed into mm-hmm. these algorithms. And that's not what art is about. It's about like self-expression and creating something that you are proud of yourself. So I was like, okay, I will use the creator space and these algorithms in order to try and tell these people's stories to allow them to, to make art the way that it's supposed to be made. So that's what Art Not Algorithms is about. Um, and I turned it into a Spotify playlist and kind of used what I knew about viral marketing in order to get a lot of attention around that. And then that kind of pre- provided like a safe space to be able to put um, mm-hmm. songs on it and since it has a hundred thousand followers like people will see it no matter if there's like there's no algorithm based on that it's just okay cool song from a dope person that has no fan base yet let's throw them on there and 
you know, spread the spread the word of what they're doing. So that's kind of how art not algorithms came around. Um, I wanted to know how exactly how difficult is that doing that as a student with your studies and homework at the same time? Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> um, I was I was a pretty good student throughout high school and like really really cared. Um, I've definitely definitely shifted my life balance, thrown everything I have into live too, and I'm just trying to get through <laughs> school. It's definitely important, and um, you know the the connections and the people here are incredible, and that's what I see as truly valuable. Um, I know I could teach myself most of the things that I am learning in the class, but I think those connections and the, the people there are really why I've stuck around and, and been happy about doing that. Um, as startups yourselves, you know, equally trying to expand your business um, as the rest of the artists, uh, you all are equally an online platform as other artists putting it up. Have you ever found yourselves in a position uh, where you thought of giving up, where you thought that this wasn't possible uh, in, in the stage of it being just a fresh, freshly bloomed um, company? Yeah, um, I think I've I've never felt like giving up. I don't think that that's really in my vocabulary um, as just who I am, but it always feels like it might not be possible. But I mm. think that's part of what makes it exciting to me is trying to do something that most people would never even look at look at trying to do. So, um, yeah, it, it's a constant uh, struggle, but one that hopefully we can overcome fairly soon. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting question because I, I never really think about it that way. It's never like, oh, we need to give up. It's like, oh, what can we do differently? What can we expand into? How can we make this work? So that's kind of our mindset at least. What do you think is the eventual goal of Live to Create? And where do you, where do you want to see your project and this company go in the future? What, what are your plans and like two years down the road. <laughs> yeah, so um, definitely I'm a big picture guy. So I've never been like, oh, I want to be an influencer. I want to have just a small like, you know, platform talking about things. I, I want to build a brand. And like I talked about earlier, um, I've the story that I always fall back to that I'm most inspired by is the story of <clears throat> the underdog and how somebody like a nobody from nowhere can can rise up and do something. So I want to build the brand that is seen as the voice for unheard artists. So it's starting as a content platform. We're building a, a label portion of it as well and kind of bringing on our own artists to be a launch pad for them to right now get from point A, which is very independent, um, you know, artists into point B, where if they want to, be kicked into the system of, of being with a label and have, have that power behind them, then we can do that for them or give them the ability to have their platform to the point where they can be an independent artist as well. Um, but beyond that, um, it can grow a lot further and there are a lot more verticals that we can get into. So it's, it's not just a platform. It's more so a movement or a brand around that idea. And that's, I think if we can have, a fan base that's not just there to listen to the music, but they really believe in that vision as well. 
that's where I want to get it to. Thank you so much, McLean. This was an amazing interview. Uh, do let uh, our audiences know where they can learn more about live to create and where they can connect with you further. Yeah, we have a website, which is live to create.com and live to create is all one word and two is spelled out T W O. So, um, our, our official company name is live Two with the number two. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. And then our social handles are also live to create. So you can find us on pretty much any platform. Great. Don't worry, McLean is still with us for our big picture discussion. We now have our radio intermission segment. It's time for a radio intermission. This week, we have a really catchy number from rapper Sumit. He's a sophomore at USC's Iovine and Young Academy, minoring in computer programming. His latest song, Tequila, is simply about having a good time, letting yourself love and having fun. Here's Tequila. Yeah, I just get to the money, okay. okay. Little bit of gin with the honey, okay. okay. See where I'm at, there like no way. No way. Ball so hard, I'ma need a toupee. Okay. Mix it, little bit of OJ. Mad when you see the way I'm living, okay. Popping off the meter, go crazy. Yeah. Y'all like me, then it go both ways. Say cheese for the cameras. Cheese. Big wins on the mantle. On me, no handouts. No. Call me, no answer. Yeah. Everyone stop when I walk in the room. Whoa. They all look up when they talking to soup. Getting too hot, so I'm dropping the roof. Feeling like pop smoke when I woo. Why you keep naming your choice at the food? Cause I eat on these beats and I fuck them up too. They mad at you back. Hate if they want, I just leave it at that. Fuck gold on my teeth, I want gold on the plaque. What's good soon? You in a bad mood, talking mad room. Bitch, I got all these hits and I'm keeping them coming like 2020. What's the bad news? Ain't go stupid the way that you doing. I'm letting out look with these You can find more of his music on Spotify. And if you want to keep up with everything else Sumit's making, check him out at sumit.ac on Instagram. That's at S-U-M-I-T dot A-C. On to our big picture of the week, where we pick out one main topic of the world of entertainment and break it down. Look for the bigger picture of what it all means. For this week's big picture, we're talking about the world of influencer culture and how it's impacted our societies, in the light of the most recent controversy uh, regarding David Dobrik. In case you were unaware, there are numerous allegations and controversies against one of the top influencers in the world right now. Many of these are still being investigated and still allegations, but they have concrete evidence already present through his vlogs, as well as through other influencers calling him out. Just to give you a few basic facts of why this is such a groundbreaking issue, uh, David Dobrik was accused of being xenophobic and discriminatory towards Asians. He spoke about Asians and gays as content tools and objectified them. He made fun of and used a person from the dwarf community as comic relief for content. Uh, And he also cheated someone into kissing uh, someone he did not want without consent, uh, even though he was told otherwise, according to the content, according to the content information given to him. However, with the most big news, uh, he has also abetted the rape of a young girl by someone from the vlog, vlog squad who goes by the name Dom. This is the one that truly shook the internet because it makes you question uh, the power that influencers have, um, as well as the current power game uh, that content creators in a social media platform have in, in comparison to others that are trying to make their way through it. What are our first reactions to the whole David Dobrik issue? I want to get your views on this. Um, It's honestly taken me aback because I've watched David Dobrik for a very long time since the initiation. I mean, even since Vine. 
Uh, and I think he's come off with this sort of good guy image. Uh, you know, he's the good one and the responsible one from the vlog squad, even though the squad itself is pretty irresponsible. The content he creates, it's meant to be reckless, right? It's meant to make you want to live that life. And I think that's what's interesting about vlogs. If you were to vlog regular life, it wouldn't be interesting. Um, but with this sort of idea of that reckless community, it's taken a step further, right? And he has over 17, 18 million followers. Um, give me your first views of, of this whole controversy. Yeah, I think um, personally, when I when I look at David's content, the I don't see what most people see because I'm I'm I see the behind the scenes of what happens on on shoots a lot more, and it's not so fluid. Um, like he's masterfully built his content to look very fluid and like it's in one take and everything's good to go. But I know for a fact that every shoot would have taken eight hours and they were planning everything and running around and doing a bunch of stuff. And I, I see a lot of, because of the way that they were trying to have it come across, a lot of stuff could fall through the wayside stuff that nobody knew about was happening behind the scenes so there's I think because of the run and gun style and that he was doing it probably all by himself especially in the early years um, I think that there's there was a lot of room for something like this to come up so I tried to tried to go back and watch several videos um, about the timeline and everything and watched a couple of the apology videos and um, clearly there's some some bad stuff that happened and um, somebody needs to take responsibility and that's just the way that it is. But it's just really unfortunate that because I see somebody that was a, a wonderful entrepreneur and somebody that was very creative in the way that they were going about things. Um, and it's, it's scary to see that because I know what it's like and I know how hard it is to control the environment around you. So it's just, I think it's really unfortunate, but it's just where we're at, I guess. I think uh, I think McLean and I see this a little similarly in the sense that as like creators ourselves, like or filmmakers yourself, you you know what goes behind making things. And when you see these vlogs, it's hard to like see it differently than that. When you know this this is not as authentic as it comes off, or this isn't you know this isn't a one take. This didn't happen off the bat. They probably had something, then they're like, okay, let's shoot that again. And they're acting. Um, and it's the kind of acting, it's not too similar, dissimilar from uh, movies like with Adam Sandler and his crew. It, you're trying to create this group of friends you want to be a part of. It's, it's very um, tricky when you really analyze the kind of lifestyle you have to lead as like a, the top vlogger of the world. I mean, it's not that surprising that things like this kind of slip past your judgment uh, even with like Logan Paul, the Japan thing, when you're just chasing like chasing the thing, you're not noticing like the effects it has on other people. Honestly, a lot of the stuff you mentioned, Shrika, like other than obviously the most recent controversy, that's really easy to see. I will say I was kind of surprised and really taken aback by the whole thing that happened with Dom and that girl. Um, that's really serious. That's now we're getting into like uh 
like legal gray areas where this is uh, it's becoming really morally ambiguous and possibly criminal. Um, I've I've read so much about it. I've seen so many videos. It makes me sick to think about it. I hope that it's unfortunate people are not going to be held responsible on legal terms, but I I think there needs to be a, a punishment or some kind of accountability. Absolutely. That that brings a very important point of how the world of content creators work, right? Um, they're not just putting up content. Um, their audiences find an immediate uh, relation to the person that's putting it up. David Dobrik himself is a brand now. Um, he has a potential amount of power in two aspects. One, he has it towards his audience, which means people that look up to him are ready to consume the content he posts, buy the things he sells, listens to what he speaks. He has a certain amount of power in terms of what his word and his content puts out. And that can influence a lot of people. Influencers in general aren't, isn't just a word that we can throw around. They have some influential power. The second aspect of it is the ability to um, really create toxic environments of content creation. And that is where the issue of Dom really arises. Um, he created, especially according to, to the victim, that they create toxic spaces where um, creating content is your key. And if you do not do something uh, that aligns with the whole brand of David Dobrik, then you're immediately uncool or you don't align with the brand. Um, and people want to be online. Much like McLean said, the most important thing that people want to be right now is content creators. How does that lack or that absence of transparency create the sort of detrimental online relationship? You know, what are the power of influencers? You know, how can we really define them? And how does that as Anmol said, you know, this need to churn out content, how does that sort of content saturation really impact these uh, these relationships that people have not only with fellow content creators, but also with their audiences that are, you know, mindlessly watching their content? Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point that um, when, you, when you just brought that up, I was thinking about um, the true power comes for these people through the people watching their content. So it's, it's kind of interesting to, to track back and think about that people are going to put out what they think people are going to consume the most. And people are inherently most drawn to things that are, you know, out there or different or crazy. And so it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's hard to put a, into it but it's it's almost like it's our fault in humanity for driving people to creating stuff like that because that's the culture we put around it and it, yeah so it comes back to the fault of of all of us for being drawn to that most and that creates this environment that somebody wants to take you know advantage of and obviously that's that's their doing for doing that so it still falls back on them but it it really stems from the fact that we are most drawn to that, which I, I find pretty interesting, at least. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, dark, but interesting. Um, I feel like it is a bleak perspective because it makes me feel like there's nothing you can do. But maybe I think, uh, I mean, I mean, look, the, the whole influencer culture, social media, we're like in the infancy stage of it, right? Uh, look at film that's been around for a hundred years 
there are like rules, restrictions, and institutions put in place to regulate what kind of film you can make. Not not in terms of censorship, but you know, um, if you show something really like just with gross intent and something that's super gross, maybe theaters won't show it uh, because they're afraid of like what kind of reaction that would have out of people. Like there are, um, there's MPA guidelines, you know, not everyone can see every film. There isn't anything like that for online spaces. It's like completely like a wild west. So, I mean, people are fallible. If you, if, you know, I almost feel like it's a ticking time bomb with any top influencer, whether it's Logan Paul, David Dobrik, it's going to get to a point where it goes too far. Because they're just humans, and I'm not defending any of their actions, to be honest. I'm just saying that when they're working that mentality, and it's not just them, they have to support a group of people around them, and they have to continue this. So now they just have to. They're going to reach a point where they cross the line. And I think the problem here is that platforms like YouTube and other social media platforms only take action when it's absolutely necessary. They don't have preemptive measures of really making strict regulations or um, I don't know what they could do, but uh, doing more than what they already have done. Um, Like, why is it that these people only lose their brand deals when they have to, because they've just now gone way too far. There needs to be like, I think everyone needs to hold each other accountable. I don't think the audience is ever going to be able to do that. I would, you bring up a very good point about being human, right? These content creators at the end of the day are human and a lot of them are very young. They're in their 20s. Um, with, the, with taking into consideration the aspects of human error and empathizing with that, do we agree with the culture of, of like cancel culture? Um, do we agree with the aspect of completely um, diminishing their entire content creation platform that they've created or completely negating the artist in general? Is that the way that they can take up accountability? And if not, how exactly should they? Because an apology video isn't enough. That we know. It's become very tiring. Wait, it's become wait. almost... <laughs> hold on, hold on, on, Shuka. Is two apologies videos, is, is that enough? Because <laughs> you know, usually think, they come think, in two. Yeah, they come in twos, right? Yeah, again, the idea of human error when the first apology just, just doesn't hit the mark. But, but you know, exactly that. It is the idea of just not being able, not being able to completely, let's say, let's use the word villainize them, right? Because they are human. And at the same time, it's people like us who've watched their content. The video of Dom, the video of, of many other aspects that are now brought to light were, were videos that were about two years ago. Why didn't anyone bring it up then? Why didn't the millions of followers watching them bring it up? They themselves didn't ideally find anything wrong with it until someone pointed it out. So if you have a culture where someone points it out, shouldn't we create a space where they're allowed to grow from it and they're allowed to change? Is cancel culture where we are? It's in place of the fact that there's nothing there, like you guys have been talking about. <laughs> it's, it's our people take it upon themselves to make it their duty to make the person that made a mistake feel like they've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that once it becomes expected or cool to cancel somebody, it becomes a snowball effect that every single person on the internet, whether you should have a say in it or not, is able to put in their their thoughts and their words. And there's a lot of people that are influenced by things out there um, very easily. 
and it just the effect of how the internet is made and the fact that these things are much more attention worthy than some other things it's just going to keep growing and growing and probably get to a point where it's just completely out of control and ruins people's lives um which is very arguably not allowing people the space to grow that they need because we are at the end of the day humans yeah uh it's like the world imploded after years of not having any sort of conversation like this it's like now you know everyone go for it but I think it's not black and white. Everyone wants to say something that will change your perspective on everything. They want to generalize everything down to one thing. It isn't. It's pretty gray. You know, it depends. The problem is, I think like cancel culture is good because it, I think it's not even just about the artists. I think it's more about victims. Uh, and I, and I do think because of cancel culture, they have more voice and they have more power now. They do. And sometimes, you know, it goes out of hand, but I think it's better than not having power at all for them. Um, but the problem is, I think, um, and it's not for everyone, but a lot of times for a lot of people, there's the whole spectrum of like how bad the crime is for the cancel culture. Um, it, it's not really a spectrum at all. If, if it's like blackface or if it's the situation of a person being raped, if anything, like, or if it's an inappropriate joke about pedophilia that came out 10 years ago you know those are wildly on different levels but if any of those things come out about one person a lot of people view them similarly in the same light it's not there isn't like this range there isn't um i guess an order of punishment or um justification so i think that's a problem there needs to be like understanding of like this is not the same thing as this and it's hard when that's being treated by the twitter mob very true. Yeah. I mean, it's become it's become a like a weaponized tool, you know, and and here we are, we're, we're putting them on trial by by media, by us. And, and where do we gain that authority or where do we gain that sort of cerebral power uh, to even claim what is right or what is wrong or what what someone should um, what someone's career should eventually lead to? Um, as much as I am a crusader for free speech. Um, everything we say on the internet can impact someone else, whether it's a comment of bullying online, whether it's the president uh, making, uh, you know, very questionable um, posts on Twitter, uh, or whether it's, you know, even content that, that we don't actively think is influencing us in certain ways, but is unintentionally changing the way we think, right? Be it the, the number of, uh, you know, TikTok videos that we watch uh, affecting, you know, our cerebral capacity to watch long form content or consume long form media. These are simple but varying aspects of impact that social media have. Um, does enabling everyone to talk and everyone to create, um, does that create better spaces for us or more harmful spaces? And how do we how do we create spaces that are more controlled and regulated? I think that allowing like the internet has allowed the masses to have a voice and to allow anybody from anywhere to rise up to do what they want to do. And I think that that's a very beautiful thing that a kid in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska has the same chance as some kid in LA just because they have access to the internet. Um, so I think it's a beautiful, beautiful space. Like we've been talking about, it is the wild west where there are, no rules until the masses decide that there are rules and 
um, things can change on a dime and people's lives will be ruined and um, people's lives will be made. Um, I think it's exciting, but at the same time, it's equally as terrifying. Um, so I don't think there's any way to stop what it is, of course. Um, it's going to grow by itself at this point um, into what it's going to become. And it's going to be very, very difficult to regulate any of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, the whole appeal of social media and internet has always been that there are no gatekeepers. And that's also inherent about it. And I, I don't think you can censor free, free speech on... It's supposed to be like the epitome of that, whether it really is or not. I mean, that's the idea of it. And it's interesting because we see influencers differently than we see celebrities. Because celebrities are, in a way, they're they're gatekeepers. They're 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 more aspirational and out of your reach than say your influencer or content creator. Um, it they are more kind of like us, in a way. Yeah, it, it definitely could be the platforms themselves that just have to take more responsibility and find ways to um, control it. That those are the people that have the true power. I've I've talked to. Um, like a lot of internal conversations that I have with um, my founding team members is just the fact that content creators are in the minor leagues of, of what's actually happening. And, and the people that really control the power are the people that made the algorithms and control what gets put out. So any tweak in a, t like a tiny tweak in, in a TikTok or YouTube algorithm will control millions and millions and millions of thoughts and people. So they're the people that really hold, you know, the key to the future. We're just here trying to pick up the breadcrumbs of, of what they've created. Yeah, I guess it's just an issue of like where we are today in terms of, I mean, it's it's two sides of the same coin, right? Um, years ago, if you had to have a voice, then you had to have proved to someone that you were capable and that you that you deserved to have a voice. Um and in a way, that's good because then that allows you uh, to be very cautious about what you're saying, uh, not only because it aligns to a certain image, but also because it's after a lot of accumulation of knowledge that you get to speak and after proving yourself through many trials and many uh, hierarchies of, of level. But what that also does is that it concentrates power and the ability to make decisions and drive decisions to certain sets of people. Uh, as compared to now where everyone gets to do it. And that in itself is both a boon and a bane. So honestly, as much as I'm very grateful for social media, I completely agree with you. It is not just companies, uh, not just platforms, uh, but any positions of power that, that, that use, I think, use social media or use influencers as sort of pawns uh, to, to push their agenda. It's, it's time for them to stand up and take control of, of how they're regulating their content. That is the end of our big picture discussion. Thank you so much, McLean. I mean, I could listen to you talk forever. It's it's so amazing. Uh, I love this discussion. Super, super, super fruitful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was this was great. Really love this. Before we wrap up, we'd like to recap what we've been reading and watching this week. Giving you guys some recommendations, Shrika. Do you have anything for them? I do. And it's on the basis of a conversation we had very recently. Um, I wanted to, to give you guys a sort of feeler into Indian music. Uh, and I think something that you all should really listen to is A.R. Rahman's album uh, in 
the movie Rockstar, the Bollywood film Rockstar. Um, I'd say plug your headphones in, sit back, relax, uh, and enjoy a emotional journey. And if you can watch the film, um, but really, it's the soundtrack that that take, that elevates the film to another level. So yeah, I feel like just watch the film because like I think it'll add to the emotion. It, it's a it's pretty amazing. Absolutely, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. good first jump into Bollywood. Uh, I would say watch Godzilla versus Kong, or also known as lizard versus monkey <laughs> in theaters <laughs> uh on team kong i'm not gonna spoil who wins but it's it's an awesome it's an awesome time it's definitely a thing to see in the theaters all right that's our recap that wraps it up for this, this week any final thoughts trika no nothing i genuinely enjoyed the discussion we had today i really hope this episode brought you all some joy uh some new information and just made your day as you were listening to it Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Um, hope you guys uh, had some a, a breather in between your studying. And tune in for next week on Episode 7. Bye. Bye, guys.